Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, it's Kayla. Candace isn't able to join us today, but we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. It really is okay. And we're so grateful to have this podcast to be able to remind each other of that. And do you hear that? It's silence. It's silence. That's what we're talking about today. We have two lovely people on as our guests. They are both the co-authors of an incredible book called Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. And this was really captivating to me. When they approached us about coming on the podcast, I thought, wow, yes, we could use more silence because let's be honest, our world is so noisy today. They have so many valuable techniques and points. We're going to sit down with Justin Talbot Zorn. He is an author and a policymaker who has served as both a strategist and a meditation teacher in the U.S. Congress, a Harvard and Oxford trained specialist in economics and psychology of human thriving. Justin's writing on mindfulness and politics has been published in 12 languages, and his work has appeared in the Washington Post, The Atlantic, Harvard Business Review, Foreign Policy, and so many other publications. We're also sitting down with Lee Mars. She's a leadership coach and collaboration consultant specializing in work with scientists, engineers, and creatives. She spent years working with the climate team at NASA and over a decade facilitating and advising a cross-sector team of chemists, advocates, government regulators manufacturers and retailers aiming to reduce toxic chemicals in our homes and our environment. They came together and decided we need to change something in our world today. What is that? And they decided that we needed more silence. You guys, this conversation with them is fascinating. They're truly exceptional individuals with so much to share. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Justin Zorn and Lee Mars. 
And we are here with Justin Zorn and Lee Mars. You, I, we were talking about Santa Fe off the mic. And Justin, I just wanted to ask you, did you guys, while you were writing this book, go to Santa Fe to write it? Because we were saying how much we love that city and how magical it is. We did. We spent a lot of good time out in the mountains writing this book. Yeah, it's a, it's a city that's definitely connected to the theme of silence. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's start at the beginning because... Let's talk about the noise. You guys, our world is louder than ever. And it's not just the literal noise in our ears. It's, you say, the noise on our screens, the noise in our heads. In your book, Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise, you describe the economics of why the world has gotten so noisy today. I would love for you to explain this further and take me through the psychology of why our world is so noisy, because it does really feel like it's noisier now than it's ever been right? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And that's the sentiment that we had when we came to the idea of writing this book as we were in this place of despondency, just like what to do, all these important issues and how to take them on with clarity and, you know, direction to get a sense for the best course of action. And it was well before COVID and Ukraine and all of these crises that were, that are defining our times now. But even then we couldn't see our way forward through the noise. So I'll get into the definitions of noise, but just want to speak to the noise that we were kind of hitting up against and that motivated us to write this book. So it just seemed like something was blocking our capacity for deeper conversations on especially complex issues and difficult topics, and that we were unable to find creative solutions, the kind of things that would break us through. So we're also parents of younger kids. Justin's got twins who are two and a five-year-old, <laughs> soon to be six or soonish to be six. I have a 16-year-old. And we've been engaged in this in work of climate change and domestic violence and poverty and removing pollutants and things like this. So it's like, how do we, how do we get through? So around that time, we both came into the same intimation or intuition as to where that could be found, that we needed to tune into silence to get beyond the noise and distraction and just simply to listen. That's incredible. By the way, I have a two and a half year old, so I feel you. I'm also <laughs> pregnant. I'm We're going to have another one here in a few weeks. So I feel you guys. We are prepping for more of the noise. So this, um, when you guys approached us about coming on, I thought, oh, this is the perfect conversation to have because the truth is I've my husband and I found ourselves having this conversation about how wonderful silence is. We, When we drive in the car now without the kids, we realize, oh, we just, we don't want any music. We don't want a podcast. We just want silence. There's something so lovely about, and almost reverent about silence. You just sit, can sit in that. And I don't think I truly understood that until I was a parent. Um, and you guys both just expressed that as well. But I guess the one question that you always ask in your book is what is the deepest silence that you've ever known? So you take it past even just the literal term of silence, right? And you're trying to figure out what that means to each individual. You guys interviewed neuroscientists, activists, poets, a man incarcerated on death row, a Grammy-winning opera singer, just to mention a few of these completely unique individuals. And I'm wondering, did each of them have a different answer? And what surprised you most about what their answer was? Mm, Thanks for that question, Kayla. It was so, it was such a journey for us. Because as Lee mentioned, we had this intuition about the power of silence, about how we need to tune into silence, like you were saying with this, this reverence and tune into it to reset the nervous system. But we thought we were thinking about auditory silence. We wrote an article for Harvard Business Review about the power of auditory silence, how it can reset the nervous system, how it can bring more creativity and health. And when the article did well, we started, you know, just kind of exploring what this meant. Should we continue studying this topic? So we kind of followed the cookie crumbs and started, as you mentioned, interviewing all these diverse people from all these different backgrounds. And the thing that surprised us the most was that when we asked them this question, what is the deepest silence you've ever known? They started telling us about situations that didn't seem auditorily quiet. Some of them were like really high decibel, like, you know, running the perfect line through roaring rapids or like the 4 a.m. mark at an all night dance party when you just get like so into the rhythm 
that you lose any self-referential thought. The mind gets quiet. So some people described, you know, balmy mornings or sunrise over an ocean and, you know, you know, high mountain snow and these situations that seem quiet. But this changed our understanding of the meaning of noise and the meaning of silence. Like you mentioned before, Kayla, it's not just the noise in our ears, but it's the noise in our screens and it's the noise in our heads too. So we studied as we went the kind of the science and also the wisdom of, of how these feedback loops operate, how the noise in our ears and the noise in our screens contributes to noise within our own minds and within our thoughts and how we navigate that noise and find those spaces of silence like you were talking about that, those reverential spaces of silence that can heal us. Right. I think you guys refer to it as pristine attention in your book, right? As a state of being beyond outer distraction and an internal chatter that brings us this this energy and this insight and this inspiration. And I can imagine back in, I, I don't, for lack of a better term, the olden days when they didn't have screens and they didn't have phones and they had all these moments where they were able to sort of ha call on this inspiration. And now life is so crazy. We have to almost make a decision and implement that into our lives. You know, silence is so essential for both our bodies and minds. But how does the silence affect us? That's that's one of the questions that I've been, I loved the idea of this book, but I thought, oh gosh, how do you even grasp this? Like, how does it actually affect our mental, our spiritual and our emotional level? Like essentially, what are the benefits of silence? Hmm. Yeah, to your point, like thinking about the old days, I just, just remembering Reverend Dr. Barbara Holmes says, I don't give the people in the past or the monks in the past so much credit. It was silence or donkeys, you know? <laughs> Like, well, you know, so there is this rise of auditory noise and we demonstrate that and the cost of that on our health. And there's a rise of informational noise. And we demonstrate in this book, we look at all the research and attentional studies because we are at a, we're at capacity at a very small amount of bits per second. That's how they measure attention is by bits per second. 11 million bits of information come into our system, our channels and every second. That's the statistic, 11 yeah. million? Yeah, and it's, you know, the psychologist, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the Hungarian-American psychologist who studied flow, did huge studies around flow states and brought that word into our kind of common vernacular now. He estimates that we can process about 128 bits per second. So 11 million bits, 128 bits. And that our ability to process information is not increasing but the things begging for our attention, you know, demanding our attention, beeping, buzzing, you know, all the, you know, pop-up notifications and things, those are a huge disruptor to our natural ability to process information that's important. They call it bottom-up, and it's a bottom-up interpretation or, or interruption in our attention. So I'm going in a lot of different directions. So then we also look at how the or the internal landscape of our minds is so much more loud, cacophonous, rumination, intrusive thoughts, worries, anxiety, all these things on the rise and the interplay of all these things. So we're looking at the cost of noise and then to get to your question, the benefits of silence as well. And one thing we explore, Kayla, in terms of the benefits of silence, researchers at Duke Medical School a few years back did a study of the brains of mice, and they studied the impacts of different types of auditory stimulus. White noise, the sounds of their pups, the sounds of Mozart sonata for two pianos, or silence. And they found that of all these types of sound, silence was the only one that regenerated neurons in the brain. And there's evidence that listening to silence, the act of simply listening to nothing, it could be, you know, listening to the rain, just listening to the ringing in your own ears, is an act that actually regenerates our brains. And this is something that ancient philosophers like Pythagoras, who's famous, you know, not only as a mystic, but also for inventing a lot of the elements of modern geometry recommended to all of his students that they listen and absorb the silence as a way to clarify the mind. So one of the main ideas we bring forward in this book is, 
you know, there so many people these days like beat themselves up for not meditating enough. I know we've done it plenty in our lives. Like, why don't I meditate every morning and all that? So one of our main inspirations for writing this book was to give people license to say, like, you don't have to ask questions like, am I doing it right? You don't have to have a fancy meditation practice. But if we can just, you know, do what you were just saying that you do, Kayla, and just appreciate silence, just notice these moments of silence when they arise and recognize that it's actually something profoundly good for our brains and our nervous systems to just tune into the silence. Well, and it's a, I guess it's a form of self-care then to do that because it really is you ha- you have to choose that now in our world and to the point where apples come out with the earphones right that you can choose to just have them completely so now when i'm on a plane i'm just everything silent and it's so much more relaxing and i love it so are you guys proponents then of multitasking i'm so curious because i mean so many times we're told like yes multitask do it you can do it all and it almost feels like this is all of your research, which is backed by so many brilliant minds, including your own, it's telling us the opposite. So no multitasking for us now? (laughs) Sounds like you like to multitask. No, I I don't know if I do, to be honest. I don't Mm -hmm. think I do. I don't think I'm productive that way. I'm not sure. I'm sure each individual is different, but. Yeah, I think it depends on the type of attention you're wanting to give something and just to really tune into what is the attention, the quality of your attention. So one thing I think that does get a little collapsed about Uh, multitasking for some is that sometimes movement and doing and receiving listening closely like I like to listen to a book on tape or something while gardening and something actually happens that's a multitasking but something actually happens to connect those those activities and my attention is actually pristine to both things I remember the chapters and the details so much more closely if I'm doing that versus if I'm just reading, lying on a couch and reading. So there's some, I think you really want, we each need to investigate what's the quality of our attention? What's the real cost or benefit of that? And what are the circumstances where that works? Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's good to know. I, I, that, that seems like a scenario where it would benefit. So that's okay. So there you go, guys. We can still multitask for those that are wondering (laughs) as they're listening to this. And in fact, maybe most of you are driving and listening. So you already are multitasking. I don't know. (laughs) Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
it's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. back. One of the things, Kayla, in this book is we didn't want to be too prescriptive to say, hey, you can't do this, you can't do this. But, you know, as Lee just mentioned, tuning into the quality of your attention. You know, one kind of multitasking that I've totally been guilty of in the past is like having a conversation and texting at the same time. You know what I mean? And and like, and uh, who Lee just mentioned, this this uh, renowned psychologist, Mihai Chichek's Mihai, who uh, was one of the foundational thinkers in this idea of flow states. You know, he's demonstrated through his research on human attention that we really just can't comprehend deeply a conversation at the same time as you're trying to think about another conversation or text someone else. So to this question of, you know, what is silence as we're talking about it, if it's not necessarily auditorily silent. It is pristine attention, as you mentioned, and that often means that we are immersed in doing one thing. And yes, that can be, you know, listening to an audiobook or podcast while gardening or even driving, but, you know, to, to divert the kind of attention that's really claiming our consciousness in two ways ends up being distraction and noise. And that's really the essence, you know, one thing we should share with you is is how we define noise and how we define silence. You know, noise, we say in two words, is, is unwanted distraction. You know, it's the interference with our true perception and intention. You know, and all this noise in the world, all this interference that is, you know, empirically demonstrated to be arising can interfere with the most important intention of all, which is to consciously choose how we're spending our time on this planet. You know, so there's real consequences to this whole mass proliferation of mental stimulation that we're facing. Yeah. And so what are some techniques we can, I know you both mentioned mindfulness and meditation, and that's a conversation we have on Directionally Challenged all the time. My co-host Candace can net, cannot master meditation. It's not her thing. It's something I've loved. And my mom is a psychologist, so it's something that's been a part of my life for a really long time. But what are some other techniques that you guys can give us so that we can, some accessible techniques, you know, something that's kind of easy to implement in our lives that we can practice over time to become sort of this more enlightened, better version, more focused version of ourselves. Yeah, we would love that you're looking there. We'll just say a a tad about that. We used to meditate, both of us, quite 
had good practices. I mean, whatever, you know, we, we could always meditate more, but we were really enthusiastic about it. It it brought so much goodness to our lives. And then our lives changed pretty radically, mostly becoming parents and, and um, needing, you know, shifting responsibilities. So we really are interested in, in honoring meditation when it, if that's the way that, that silence comes to you. But we speak with a biobehavioral health, a professor in biobehavioral health, his name is Dr. Joshua Smythe. And when we were asking him about internal silence and he does these massive mindfulness and stress reduction studies, you know, what is internal silence? We were kind of badgering him about this. He finally kind of said, you know, quiet is what someone thinks quiet is. Quiet is what brings you quiet. We might add, to, it was, it's what feels quietening. So in this book, we try to really emphasize broadening one's approach and really thinking much more broadly. It may surprise you what brings you quiet. And if meditation is not one of those things that brings you quiet, then please just, you know, just let it go for a bit, you know, for Candace and for whoever out there is having that issue. We did that. And so we turn to, in the book, we have a chapter called Healthy Successors for the Smoke Break, because my quiet used to be a smoke break. And I loved that quiet, I have to say. I worked in crisis work. It was high, high stress. And those five minutes of breathing in and breathing out deeply, you know, that's where I learned how to breathe in and breathe out deeply. And watching the smoke in the air and the light dance and swirl and the feel of the cigarette dangling from my lips, all this, I loved that type of quiet. So how do we, now that we're, I'm not smoking anymore, most of us are not smoking anymore, how do we find the equivalent of that, that ritualized, simple quiet? So for some, it might just be stepping outside in the rays of the sun, just even for a moment. Might be listening to the bird song. Might be listening for the wind in the air, in the trees. It might be taking, giving a little bit more attention to one's breath the shifting from the in-breath to the out-breath. You know, it may be just bringing awareness to three breaths in a row, and that's it. That's your to-do. So we look for these. We have many, many, many ideas for how to do that. And we turn to like, just what does it mean to just tune in, to just listen to the sounds in your ears? Like Justin was saying, even if it's a ringing, a ringing in your ears and noticing the shift or the change in the qualities of that, and, and again, tying it to that research that even that act might generate new neural pathways. And that's of great interest to us, of course, too. But, ju but just what it does for the nervous system, for our, for our bodies and brains to take a slight pause in the midst of all this you know, stimulation. So we look at a range of practices, too, for how, for example, throughout your day, we can stop and pause in moments of transition, like when you're opening the door or standing up to leave the room or turning on the tap for some water. Can you take that moment to go deeply into the silence, even if it's only available for a couple seconds? Or maybe when you're, you know, two-year-old or three-year-old is, you know, entertained playing with a toy, the silence may only be available for an extremely short period of time. But rather than thinking about the quantity of time, can you think about the quality of the time in the silence? Can you go as deeply as you possibly can into it? So these are the kinds of practices we look at in the moment to moment. But we also in the book look at, you know, finding practices for more rapturous kind of silence. You know, we talk about a practice called take your to-do list for a hike where you literally bring your to-do list out to the most remote place you could find in nature. And once you're in the quiet of nature, look at it and assess what really matters. You know, see how your vantage point starts to change. And we look, for example, at how Gandhi, every single week, would spend a full day in silence. He didn't speak. He would sometimes attend conferences or meetings, but he made this concerted decision to not speak a word. And this was how he reset his nervous system. It was how he found his clarity and insight. So we look at how you could take a, a wordless Wednesday and how that sometimes, to make that work, sometimes requires taking some time to actually talk about quiet with your friends and loved ones or, or your coworkers and make some agreements and talk about what you need. And when you say wordless Wednesday, do you mean 
physically not speaking one word at all or just making a conscious effort to listen more? Mm. Well, we'd welcome what what is going to work for your life. But what we're what we're basing this off of is Gandhi's every Monday where he did not speak a word just to throw that in there with this. We didn't know about this incredible practice he had until we dove into this research. So every Monday he would take meetings, he would go to conferences and you could say, you know, he would listen deeply and receive all kinds of information, but he chose to not speak a word on that day. And then on Tuesday, he would, his friends and colleagues say, he would just come forth with so much more clarity and discernment and direction in what he, where he was going, which is without notes, just a flow of, of clarity. And so we're, we're borrowing from that incredible example, not expecting us to be any of us to be like Gandhi, but taking note of here's a man who had, we could say a lot on his plate, <laughs> you know, a lot of important work. And yet this was such a priority that he made space for it. So Monday can be a heavy lift for a lot of us. So we moved it, bumped it over to Wednesday, wordless Wednesday. And we have in our own lives taken a day. And it does require that that pre-work that Justin was talking about the conversations with your loved ones so that they understand for the sake of what you're doing this and under what circumstances might they interrupt you, things like that. And if it can't be a day, perhaps it's, you know, a couple of hours or something like that. Right. Or even starting small to then go big kind of idea. Starting small is one of our, one of our (laughs) tips there so that you don't, you know, there's no need. It's about experimenting and really sensing into what is it that brings you quiet? Back to back to Joshua Smith's point. If it's not something that's bringing you quiet, then that's not the you know that's perhaps not the way. So let's find it. You know, we we want to do this in alignment with our lives, with our relationships, and I already love that you brought up brought in that your husband and you were talking about silence because the other big step we're trying to take here is actually acknowledging the collective around silence like that silent doesn't silence doesn't need to be a solitary activity it could be but it could also be a really profound shared thing like you in the car with your husband so shared silence we find is magnified it's very powerful and a beautiful way to honor this life we have and this time we have and to celebrate this life we have Wow, that's so beautiful. I mean, I would love, I know you guys taught these techniques to U.S. Congress and NASA and those at Harvard and Google. What what was that process like teaching? Because this is telling someone at NASA you should send, spend a wordless Wednesday <laughs> seems like an extraordinary feat. So what was that experience like? Well, and I would say that actually NASA taught me about silence. Here's why, because they certainly weren't bringing me in to teach specifically about this. They were bringing me in to help them with their experimental mindset and how to communicate to one another. And I was so excited about that and nervous slash terrified about that opportunity (laughs) that when we brought them in the content that we were delivering to this couple day training, we actually packed it with way too much stuff, way too many activities, way too many things. And NASA self-described as 75% introverts. So in other words, I completely blew them away with way too much content talking and stuff right so we backed up (laughs) pulled out some things from the timeline made more space for breaks for time for independent reflection which means you know it's really helpful for introverts as well so we diversified the time we spent together quieted the time so there was more space for reflection and, and individual as well as collective shared silence and then we really you know, then we created something really incredible that we delivered for f- several years. So I, they taught me about silence. I, I don't know. I was ready to blow them away with way too much content. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent some years working as a, a policymaker in the U.S. Congress. I was legislative director for three members of Congress. And during my time there, I started teaching meditation. There was a congressman who went on some meditation retreats and we became friends and started up this program. 
And it was such a radical thing, Kayla. Not so much, you know, the meditation techniques or, you know, whatever it might have been that we were doing. It was more just the act of being quiet together. You know, we were all just together, like in our business suits in this very fancy formal government conference room, sitting and doing absolutely nothing. And it was like you could feel the amygdalas start to slow down. And it's like, it's not a panacea. It's not like being in silence together is going to solve the problems we're facing and the divisions we're facing. But the feeling for us, Kayla, was just like, this is a prerequisite to doing anything, to be able to be quiet. You know, when we mentioned this Gandhi example, you know, that brings me to thinking about, you know, how we do look at the idea in this book that, you know, for you know, some conceptions that silence equals violence or silence is complicity or silence is complacency. And we honor that. We agree that, you know, withdrawal and detachment in the face of injustice is an evil in our world. But what we explore in this book through conversations with, you know, someone who's been on death row for 30 years and activists who are, you know, leading change on climate policy and, and justice we start to realize that so much of the apathy in this world, so much of that kind of silence is a function of noise. You know, when we're all just fixated on TV and social media and, you know, little noisy distractions in our lives, it's hard to really pay attention to the challenges that we face and skillfully address them. So in this book, we work to reframe silence as a force for healing our world, as a force for paying more attention and practicing more compassion. You know, and we, and we do that mostly through stories. Well, and you make such a good point in the book that, you know, virtually all the world's religions honor silence in some capacity. And so it does make you think, gosh, if it works for all walks of life, all religions, there's got to be something to it, right? Yeah, like it, it seems to us that silence is this place of common ground. And we so desperately need that right now. And way back, actually, when we were first starting this, when we were, we'd just written the article, Justin was sharing a, a cab with, with a colleague who was at the conference. They were at an economic conference presenting some things. And actually, he was a conservative presenting very opposing <laughs> views at the same conference. But they you know, shared the cab and Justin told him about the article. And uh, Jeff went on to read it. And for him, it resonated, it, it reminded him of his early days at Jesuit youth camps and, and what it was like to go, to go hunting early in the morning, in the misty morning days. And so there was a resonance there. And this really, we took pause to that. We thought, you know, this is a, this is a place, a time of great division, and we're really interested in finding more, more common ground and a, really interested in finding more clarity for how and where we act and move forward. And this is a starting place, not the panacea, as Justin said, but seems like a starting place. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Well, Akila, I'm so glad you mentioned that, though, about how this is kind of at the core of all these different religious traditions. And it's something that we investigated really deeply. I mean, we took a very kind of ecumenical approach to studying here. We met with, you know, renowned Buddhist teachers and Christian preachers and Jewish mystics and Sufi practitioners from all around the world. And, you know, there was this agreement that at one level, Silence is the absence of noise, but all these different spiritual authorities we met with and these really deep contemplative practitioners, you know, all agreed that there's something deeper to silence than even the absence of noise, that there's this place where silence is this presence unto itself, and that silence relates to humility, you know, this place of not knowing, of not having to fill the space, this place of letting go. That silence can reset the nervous system. You know, that there's this space of silence where nothing's making claims on our consciousness. And there's this perfection we can find in these spaces of silence. And even though we think of all these religious traditions as having different laws and doctrines and ways of prayer or contemplation, we found this common reverence for silence, like how you used that word reverence before, Kayla. It's just so beautiful to hear and to be reminded of it. You know, I just have to thank you both for reminding us of this, truly, because, I mean, it's there's still silence left in this world. And and to be able to have the techniques now to, like you said, just in it's the simple moments in between the transitions of life that feels doable, that feels feels like something each of us listening can actually implement into our lives should we want to. And it feels instantaneous too, which is so wonderful. But so then how now do we start this conversation with our families and our friends? It does feel like since the pandemic that a lot of the communication that we've had can be awkward at times. People don't really know how to communicate or start these conversations because we haven't really been interacting as much as we were in the beginning. But maybe that's a good thing. Right. In some ways, it's been a time where we can start having these. We've had we've been forced into some awkward conversations. There's no question (laughs) about it. And that saying, even that saying of awkward silence and my 16 year old (laughs) talks about like the horrors of awkward silence. So it's awkward conversations about silence. Even, you know, we tell a story in there about when my mom and her wife of 30 years, Betty. So I call them my mom and my Betty came here to the West Coast. They moved from Ohio and they landed in our home and they were just, it was so wonderful. As you can imagine, having two grandmothers, you know, help with homework and they were cooking, you know, chocolate chip bread and they were, it was, you know, it was delightful. And yet they're, so they were wonderful guests, but their devices were not so wonderful because they were all defaulted, like the default settings of whooshing and pinging and keystrokes you know, (laughs) striking, I guess that's like keystroking. Their bedroom was just across from my office and we're in the midst of writing this book and I'm hearing whoosh, ping. Oh, and then there was their like, their phone telephone rings, which were like, Heart, us kind of a nauseating harp sound, and then mm-hmm. we all know um, that one. We've yeah, you know that, that one. one. Yep. Okay, you know that one. And then there was like an, a metal air guitar that my mom had, and I she still has it, I think. But anyway, so I was like trying to talk with him about, you know, these robocalls or some apps. Maybe I could kind of get some of those off. And when they're like, oh, it doesn't bother us. And what I realized is I needed to have a more head-on conversation with him about how it bothered me. You know, they were fine with that. Their norms suited each other. They were fine with their agreements around all those sounds. It wasn't bothering them. But when they came into our house and me writing this book about silence, 
I needed to have one of those awkward conversations. So I finally fessed up that it wasn't like that I was looking out for them. It was that I was looking out for me. <laughs> and could we, could I turn off some of those things? And they said, sure, if it means that much to you, dear. And it did. So, you know, and then it requires just checking in, appreciating, thanking them for taking that time to do that. I remember Betty told me that she thought, well, I'll just turn those things all on when I move to my own house, she thought to herself. But then she ended up not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in, in turn, you also helped them <laughs> by helping yourself. <laughs> I think they might. They might agree to that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so, you know, we just have different needs. So one of the things about having these conversations is certainly not coming in with fingers wagging about how, you know, you know you're doing it wrong because noise is completely subjective. You would, Justin, you remember that saying, Arjun, what's that? Sound is when you're mowing your own lawn. Noise is when your neighbor is mowing their lawn, and music is when your neighbor is mowing your lawn. <laughs> That's really good. So it's so it's subjective the, yeah. the meaning of the meaning of sound and noise, and you know what's beautiful sound and, and so on. But you know what we what we the claim we make in this book is that there really is such a thing as noise. If we think about in our own lives, the unwanted distraction, that's pulling us away from our perception of the world and our intentions, what we intend to do. The last segment of your book broadens this perspective completely, and it talks about a society that honors silence, an entire society. So can you take us through this? Because what is a society that honors silence? And and can we contemplate for a minute what that would be like to live in that? Thanks so much for asking about that. That is really where we get big picture in the book. And we think about how as a as a society, we've noticed that we tend to mistake stress for aliveness. You know, noise in a way is our most celebrated addiction. Because even if you look, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, Kayla, that it's even in the way our economy is structured. You know, we tend to measure like how well a president is doing or how well the economy is doing by GDP, gross domestic product, which is basically just like how much stuff we're producing. But GDP is also measuring these days how much mental stuff we're producing, how much sound and stimulus and content we're producing. And the crazy thing with GDP is it doesn't measure the value of a forest if it's left intact. Like GDP only measures the value of that forest if you cut down the wood and sell it at Home Depot for lumber. And you could say the same thing about our attention. You know, the way we measure our economy doesn't count if we're just in a quiet moment of enjoying life or admiring art or smelling by uh, smelling flowers or just like playing around with our toddler on the floor. None of that counts, even if that pristine attention is what brings us the most joy. What counts is if we take our attention and look at a screen and it becomes eyeballs on a page that can be sold to advertisers. So what we imagine in this question of what it would mean to build a society that honors silence, we imagine what would it mean if the way we measure progress and the way we measure productivity as an economy as a whole, but also as workplaces and even individuals in our lives, what if we valued what's unspoken? You know, what if we value the time of quiet? What if we value the time in nature? What if we value that pristine attention? And is the difficulty in that then that there is no form of measurement, truly, that we're able to cumulatively come to, right? Because we can know within ourselves, oh, okay, I've spent this time and it's been very valuable, but there is no form of measurement. Totally. You know, it's impossible to really accurately measure something that is so personal, you know, something you could say even in that forest too, that I mentioned before, you know, how could you put a price on something so sacred as the redwoods, for example. But the problem we look at is if we don't give that a cost in how we measure things in the economy, then it gets implicitly priced at zero. So there are all different new models in economics of how we could start to think about estimating you know, costs for that is for that which isn't typically measured in our economy. 
we look at all these ideas, though, essentially of how we can make a cultural shift beyond those public policy shifts and what that looks like in essence, you know, kind of to summarize all the different ideas we bring forward is how can we spread the idea that silence has value? How can we start to appreciate silence more, not just as individuals, but as families and friend groups and as workplaces and as a culture as a whole, just to take the time to appreciate silence, like you were saying you do in the car sometimes. Mm. And it's as simple as having these conversations that we're having right now. And then, you know, people catching on to the idea of and then it's spreading, which hopefully happens. And I just truly have to thank you guys for writing a book like this in a time when our world really needs it. We all really need this. And I'm excited to dive into some of these techniques and implement them and see the effect that it has on my life. And I hope our listeners are too. Is there any last advice you you have for them before we let you go? Hmm. There's just one thing coming to my mind as you say this. I feel so excited as you talk to share that with with us. Thank you so much. It's just that this is a lot about remembering, remembering something that is innate in us as humans. And maybe you know this silence from your childhood, perhaps, you know, but we as humans know it somewhere in ourselves. It's not complicated. So let's not make it complicated. We're just noticing the noise that's around us and how we, you know, noticing how we can best navigate it and tuning into silence and that appreciation piece that Justin mentioned. And you'll find your way and you know the way. We know the way. We just have to remember. Mm. It's so beautiful. Justin Lee, thank you so much for coming today and writing such a phenomenal book. Their book, Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noid, is, is not available yet, right? It's available. Tell me the date so I can give May. May 17th tomorrow. Uh, oh, my gosh. Their book is available. <laughs> so then it will be available actually when we air this. It's available now anywhere books are sold. Please make sure you check it out and truly take the first step to transforming your life and your mentality. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Kayla. Thank you, Kayla. It's so interesting. I don't know what you guys are going to take away from this. After that conversation with both Justin and Lee, there's so much to take away. I feel like I'm still processing it, and I'm sure you are as well. There are just so many interpretations of silence. A few that really stood out to me in the book that neither of them mentioned was one from George Hampton. He's an acoustic ecologist who spent decades cataloging the endangered soundscapes of the world, and he defined silence as time undisturbed. And he calls it the quote unquote think tank of the soul. And that really resonated with me because I thought, oh, wow, I think that's what's been missing in my life is this time of being able to utilize silence as a quote unquote think tank and just center myself and center my thoughts and figure out what it is I is most important. What do I want to do next? Because distraction is everywhere. And I don't know about you guys. I, I'm distracted so easily. And just the ping of my phone can take me out of a really important conversation with a friend. And I don't want to be that person. I want to be the friend that's able to sit there and concentrate and be in a really good conversation and share what I have to share and live my life that way. So I'm just curious, what's your definition of silence. I mean, has it changed since we've started to discuss this episode? Do you feel inspired to do any of these techniques? Make sure you let us know on social media. would love to start a conversation about this, especially because Justin and Lee say that is the way to build a society that can be more open to this idea of silence. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged as much as I did. We have another great episode coming for you next week. We'll see you then. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast. Mm-hmm.